If you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 13, we want to look, if we could, at Romans chapter 13, starting in verses 8 through 14. Uh, Pastor Rob is at the naval base this morning, fulfilling his uh, duty as a chaplain, and we want to uh, look at this this morning and a little bit this evening, Romans uh, chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Uh, realize the whole context of the book of Romans, uh, chapter 13, has to do with the Christian uh, being submissive to the Roman government, to Roman officials, and to city and state officials, which, which were all part of the Roman government, of course. Uh, the context here is for Christians uh, to be obedient. It didn't matter if you were being obedient to a fellow Christian in in a position or not. It didn't matter whether they were Christians or not. We would be to be obedient unto the government. Now, uh, we have difficulties with this because of the constitutional government which we have. Uh, we sometimes uh, mix up uh, 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 being biblical and submitting as to being constitutional and submitting. Uh, I want you to realize, I'm sure you do, so I'm not trying to point at anyone, but I want you to realize that no matter how bad or what manner of people govern us in the United States of America, there's no comparison with the Roman tyranny. There's no comparison with it. We have a cushy, very soft life compared to Rome. Um, and we might object because our government, uh, in one way or another, the leadership does not always follow the Constitution, but I would remind you that the Constitution is not a biblical document. It's a man-made document. And so if they go against the Constitution, they're not going against the Word of God necessarily. They're going against a set of rules that men have made. So do we have a right to rebel in any way? Well, <clears throat> not according to what God's Word says, because we're not necessarily tied to the Constitution, though we live under it. We're tied to the Bible and what it says. So what we want to look at together today, if we can please, is uh, what's going on uh, in, in the context of Romans chapter 13. Uh, first of all, recognize that um, the context is pointed to our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ and secondarily to the government. Uh, first, our relationship to him is most important, and that's what we see in Romans chapter 13, like starting right in verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. That's the first thing we need to recognize. God's sovereign over it. No matter who gets into any public office anywhere, God allowed it all. We don't necessarily like it sometimes, and we see they do some things that are contrary to what our thinking is, and we can see the slide, if you would, of our, our country, but yet God has allowed them to be in position. So my first recognition is God is doing something, and I need to submit to what God says, though I may not be happy with the person or, or their position on any standard. So look at verse 5, please. Wherefore, Romans 13, 5, wherefore, we must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Whose conscience? Your conscience, but before who? The Lord. The Lord. Paul said, I, I want my life to always live uh, before God, void 
of a corrupt conscience. I want to make sure that I'm doing what God told me to do no matter what's going on around about me. And Paul has mentioned this several times, and Peter one time. I'd like us just to run to see this if we can. Turn with me to um, the book of 2, 1 Timothy 2. We're coming back to Romans, 1 Timothy 2. <coughs> Paul mentioned to Timothy this very thought in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Look with me, please, starting right at uh, verse 1. <coughs> Excuse me. I exhort, therefore... That first of all, supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So make sure you're praying, Paul says, with the right spirit, right attitude, of course, right heart before the Lord, uh, confessing your sin. That's not in that section, but obviously part of God's word. Now verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. So what's the primary purpose? Well, we want to make sure that they see Christ in us as we live a Christ-like life. For what purpose? So they'll say, well, you're really a nice guy. No, so that they may come to the knowledge of Christ, so they may see Christ in us, that hope of glory. Why? For that's God's will. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of truth. So I obey the government in what way? So that people will see Christ in me, the hope of glory. So that they may see my lifestyle, that I, I look to him. And though men govern this United States of America or wherever I happen to live, yet I'm subject to him. Why? Because my citizenship is in heaven. And that's where I will be. So I look at him first of all. Turn with me to Titus. Now Paul is writing to Titus, and Titus is on the island of Crete. We'll be looking at this this coming Monday night, Paul's first missionary journey to Crete with Barnabas. But Titus has been uh, sent to the island of Crete to establish local churches there on that island. And we pick it up in uh, Titus chapter 3. Notice verse 1. Put them in mind. Put the Cretans in mind, the believers at the churches of Crete. Put them in mind, chapter 3 and verse 1, to be subject uh, to principalities and to powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready for every good work. Verse 2, speak evil of no man, but to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Why? For we ourselves also were once foolish, disobedient, deceiving, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hate, and hating one another. But after the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and re renovating of the Holy Spirit. Why be subject to magistrates? Why? Because we were like them at one time. They don't know the Lord. That's why they're doing those things. They don't know the Lord. That's why they allow abortion. They don't know the Lord. That's why they go contrary to God's word. And it's our responsibility to live for the Lord so that they may see Christ in us. You were just like them at one time until God opened the eyes of your understanding. Now make sure that you live for him so they'll see Christ in you. It's always, the purpose is always to show forth Christ. Peter said the same thing. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 for a moment. 
First <clears throat> Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. Look at verse thirteen, please. First Peter chapter two and in verse thirteen. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Isn't this interesting? It's for the Lord's sake. Why? So I might show forth Christ in my life, uh, whether, whether it be uh, uh, to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And uh, the context here is Christian liberty, but notice verse 16, as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. And can I just give you a little thought here? Uh, we're free in the United States of America. We're, we're, we have liberty here in the United States of America as citizens. This is spiritual. I recognize that. But we can use our liberty here in the United States of America in a sinful way if we're not honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Just because there's a, an executive decree and we don't like it doesn't mean we can sin when we're speaking about it. Just because a law is passed, it doesn't mean we have the freedom to sin because we don't like the law, or it may go contrary to the word of God. Now, uh, and just a side note, please, and I, won't, I don't want to go on with this. Only if the government or a ruling official, only if they do want us or command us to do something that's completely contrary to one of God's mandates, only then can we refuse to obey the government. Only then. And the apostles were very clear on that. Uh, we ought to obey God rather than man. But up to that point, we ought to obey the government over us. Why? Because God, God has given us the opportunities to worship him, to praise him, and to show forth his light. Verse 7 of uh, Romans 13, Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, Honor to whom honor. I won't have you turn there, but remember our Lord Jesus, they, they, they brought him a coin and they said, listen, uh, who should we honor? Um, Caesar's image is on here. And if the Lord said, well, if the Lord Jesus, he's trapped, don't you know? They really got him now. Boy, they're very brilliant men. And they said, well, who should we honor? Should we honor the inscription on this coin, which was Caesar, who called himself God? And Jesus said, give to Caesar the things that belong to him, but give to God the things that belong to him. So who, who do we give honor to? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Who do we give worship to? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Not this country, not the leaders of this country, not the laws of this country, but our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Okay, now verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love. I want you to realize that this is not talking about loans, mortgages, credit cards. The context is taxes, fear, and honor. Don't owe anyone anything but to love. The context is taxes, fear, and honor. We owe love and honor to the people we come in contact with. Why? So they can see Christ. 
just so they'll see him. I, I don't like what they stand for. I don't like what they're involved with. I don't necessarily like what they're doing. But they still need to see Christ in me. Many years ago now, Doris just gave me a bulletin, and it was from fifth, uh, 50th anniversary at the church 30 years ago. I remember when I first came, we had a ceremony of 50 years of uh, the church. And uh, back in those days is when the airport, um, they were going to expand the airport. Remember 30 years ago, they just ended up doing it now. But uh, we were all invited to go to this uh, meeting they were going to have about the airport. And so my wife and I went as, as uh, representing, if you would, the Cornerstone Church. And there were many people from the Cornerstone Church there, and there were others because it, the airport, of course, of being in Warwick. And we were at that meeting, and I remember a couple Christians standing up and screaming at the officials. Nancy and I promptly got up and left the meeting. They don't represent me. They don't represent the king. Not when you're standing up and screaming at an official that you're supposed to be showing his grace, his mercy, and his love to. It was frightening to see. So we, we promptly left, and <clears throat> people asked me why, and I had to tell them, and they got upset, and they left too. Here, that is. <laughs> but don't owe any man anything but what? To show forth Christ. That's the most important. You owe them Christian love. You need to show them, show forth to them Christian life, love. Now, God has principles in the scriptures about owing, doesn't he? He does. It's very clean, very clear in the scriptures what God says. For example, keep your hand here. We'll come right back. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 22, the book of Proverbs 22. This is fine, uh, very complete financial uh, understanding for us. In the book of Proverbs 22, Look with me, please, at verse 7. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. That's pretty plain, isn't it? If you owe a lot of people, you're servant to them. It's not good. It's wrong to do that. Be careful what you do. Uh, that does not mean necessarily it's wrong to owe someone if you buy a home or a car or whatever it may be uh, and you come to an, uh, an agreement with them, I'll pay them such and such monthly uh, over the course of so long. Uh, you don't necessarily, owe, you owe them the monthly payment. If you don't pay them the monthly payment, then you owe, you owe. You're wrong. You need to pay your payments on time, Lord willing, unless you make other agreements with them. But realize that we need to make sure that we're honoring the Lord, even with our goods, even with the money that he's given us. So when we read in, in Romans chapter 8, owe no man anything, that, that's love, that's not necessarily money, but behind the principle there, of course, is being careful with our finances. There's no question about that. For example, if you would please, turn with me to uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 16 once again, Proverbs 16. So God's word is very, very plain concerning money, but the context of Romans is not money. It's, uh, it's really my obligation before the Lord as far as owing them Christian love. We're in Proverbs chapter 16. Look at verse 8 with me for a moment, please. Proverbs 16, 8. There are uh, 
many, many passages. It, to my, in my study of, of uh, finances in the scriptures, God makes over 2,000 references to money. 2,000. There's a lot of references in the scriptures. But when Proverbs 16, look please with me at verse 8 for a moment. Proverbs 16, 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. Be content, Paul told Timothy, with such things as you have. If you're not content with what you have, you'll never be content with a lot more. You just won't. So we recognize that God is talking not necessarily about money in Romans, although God does tell us about money and owing and, and uh, what to do with our finances. But head back with me to Romans now. What is he talking about in the context here of Romans uh, chapter 13? In the context of Romans chapter 13, it's owing a debt of love to an unregenerated world. My love of God is secure. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. But I, I owe a debt to a dying world, a world that is without Christ, without hope, and headed for eternal damnation. And if I can live and honor him as a citizen of a country uh, and not rebel, that's showing forth Christ's love. I have the right to do some things, but not the right to do it. Liberty is not license. It's, it's not so I can do what I want to do. My liberty before the Lord is to do what he wants me to do. Make sure that I'm doing his will. So in Romans chapter uh, 13 and verse 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now love one another. That includes my brethren in the church. By this, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. And by the way, we want them to know that, don't we? We really do. We want people to know we're Christians. Why? Well, because we want to tell them about Christ. We want to let them know that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but by him. That's what we want them to know. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. Someone's a secret Christian probably isn't a Christian at all. We need to show them Christ in us, that hope of glory. And so when we show forth the love we have for one another, we show forth Christ and a love that we owe, a debt that we owe. Paul said, woe unto me if I teach not the gospel of Christ. We need to tell unsafe people about him. And then Paul, of course, uh, brings that to its, its fullness as, as far as a, a, a Christian is concerned. Love is what keeps the whole business together. We're coming right back. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, please. Colossians chapter 3. Paul told the church at Colossae, love is what keeps the whole body of Christ together. We see that in Colossians chapter 3. Pick it up, if you would, please, in verse 13. Paul says in Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. The debt is owed. We owe a debt of forgiveness to anyone and to everyone. Why? Because we, he died for my sin on Calvary's cross, and I don't care what you do to me in this life, it can never be, it can ever add up 
to my sin against Christ. He paid the ultimate, he paid the, the extreme price for my sin on Calvary's cross. As he forgave me, I'm to forgive everyone else. Notice, if you would please, in verse 14, and above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of maturity or perfection. Put on love, which is the bond. The term there, bond, is interesting because it has to do with uh, a, a joint, a tie together. Uh, the Greek word has to do with a uniting principle. Uh, we would call it a ligament. In the body, which I know so very little about, except that the older you get, the sore it gets. But um, the body has these rubber-type bands. They're not real rubber. I, I get that. But you have these things called ligaments. I, I fell off a roof one time when I was painting a home uh, when I was just a young guy, and I, and I tore ligaments in my legs. Oh, it was horrible. Why? Well, because these rubber or elastic bands, they hold the whole body together. And uh, that's what he's referring to. Love is that which, uh, the ligaments which hold the body of Christ together. We're to forgive one another and to love one another. Now, our, our problem is our perception of love is that I always do what makes the other person happy. But that's not what the scriptural principle of love is. Love is doing what's best for the person loved, not necessarily what they love. It's doing what's best for them, not necessarily what they want. I love my children with all my heart, but there's a limit to the candy you can eat. I love my children with all my heart, but there's a limit to what you can do in this life without being corrected. There needs to be correction. Why? Because we love them. I love my grandchildren, but every once in a while I have to say, well, you know, that's not, that's not right. And do people take correction well? Not always, do they? I know I'm one. It's hard sometimes when people correct you, but you know what? The Spirit of God says to you, he's right or she's right. And what you're doing is not right. And that's when we need to love them with a pure heart. So Paul is talking about this love. It's a debt that we cannot pay off. Oh, that's enough. I love them enough. No, that's not the way it goes. We need to love them continually. Back with me to um, Romans, if you could, please. Romans chapter eight, again, uh, 13 again. Romans chapter 13. And verse 8, what is the debt we owe? We're not to owe any man anything. That is our government. We're doing what we're supposed to do. We're doing it when we're supposed to do it. But what's a debt that I cannot fully pay? And that's the debt of love. And you see that again in chapter 13 and verse 8. No, no, owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, verse 8, for this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not be a false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in all this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Remember the Lord Jesus said, the whole law hangs on these two things. The whole law. So as a as a born-again believer, as someone who's believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, if I want to be a, the, the perfection of, 
of my Christendom. If I want to honor the Lord, it means I need to love one another. Now, some people are, are very, very difficult to love. They really are. I, I know I'm one of them. I, I got that. You know, I know that. But one writer said, enthusiasm is not obedience. Just because I want to love you doesn't mean I have. Enthusiasm, enthusiasm is not obedience. I need to obey God's word and love you with a pure heart. Setting it all aside. Now, it, it, it can be difficult. Uh, even though I am not lovely, you're still supposed to love me. Why? Because God said to. It's not based upon me, it's based upon what he said. And so as we read the scriptures, as we look at these passages, we say, well, well this, this is impossible. But I, I might remind you, these are not idealistic, uh, hopelessly impractical, unattainable verses. Sometimes we look at this and say, I can't do that. Yes, you can, you just won't. That's all there is to it. You can do this because God said you can. He's given you his spirit. He's given you his word. You can do it. It's just you don't want to. Say, well, that can't be true. Look at Romans chapter 6 with me for a moment, please. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6. This is a very interesting section of Romans, and we'll be dealing with this in Sunday school, but Romans chapter 6, let's start right off in verse 11, if we could, please. <clears throat> Paul tells the Roman church, as in chapter 13, he's talking to the Roman church, believers, Jews, Gentiles alike, they're all there in the Roman church. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, but you are not under the law, but under grace. God has given us, the scriptures and, and writers call it, divine enablement. You have the ability to, to hold off sin and to hold on to God's word and to fulfill it. Verse 15, what then shall we say because we are not under the law but under grace? Shall we sin? Shall we, what shall we say? Shall we sin because we are not under the law? No, of course not. Just because I'm a New Testament Christian doesn't mean I can break the laws of God. He's commanded me not to do that, as a matter of fact. In verse 16, know ye not to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are whom you obey, whether unto sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Whoever you yield yourself, whatever, you know, the world shows a devil on this shoulder and an angel on this shoulder, and we know it's, it's, it's man's thoughts and very far from the word of God, but literally, I have a choice. Am I going to obey what God said or am I going to do my own feelings? And if you trust your feelings, boy, you're going to go wrong every single time. Every single time you'll go in the wrong direction. Why? Because our ways are not God's ways. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. His thoughts are much higher. Paul said, the things I want to do, that's the very thing I, 
I don't do and the things that I don't want to do, those seem to be the very things I do. There's a battle. It's a battle in the Christian life. And what we need to do is not yield ourselves as instruments of unrighteousness. God said that we are to love one another with a pure heart fervently. Make an effort at it. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Turn with me to John for a moment. John chapter 15. The Lord Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says in John chapter 15 that they are to love one another. And as we approach this passage, I want you to recognize that these things do not come necessarily naturally, do they? Love your enemy. What? What? That doesn't come naturally. You can only do that through the Spirit of God, His power, and the Word of God. We want to hate our enemy. I hate that guy. Listen, he's unsaved. He's unregenerated. He doesn't know anything else. He doesn't know anything else. We, and some Christians actually end up hating other Christians. Have you ever seen that? It's, it's a sad thing. Now, we need to recognize we're not always going to get along perfectly with everyone. We're not always going to agree perfectly with everyone. But to hate them is called sin. To hate them is called sin. When John chapter 15, notice this, if you would, please, in verse 12. This is my commandment. We got that? John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Wow. It's commanded. It's not an option. So you actually have to love me. I'm really happy about that. <laughs> but I, I have to love you. Why? Because God's word said. Because God. It's not because you're a nice person because you might not be. It's not because you're always doing me favors. Did you ever notice that? Some Christians, the squeaky hinges, they always have a need. They always have, and as long as you're always fulfilling the need, they'll always love you. But the minute it stops, so doesn't the love. That's not what God's saying. God's love is based upon his command, not your response. It's always that way. And I'll remind you of a couple of passages, please. I'm just going to read passages and let you know and give you the information. Romans 12:9, love, let love be without hypocrisy. Romans 12:10, brotherly love. Keep uh, administering brotherly love. Galatians 5:22, the fruit of the spirit is love. Ephesians uh, 3:17, rooted and grounded in love. Ephesians 4:2, forbearing one another in love, edifying itself in love, walk in love, that you uh, love. Uh, that love may abound, Paul says in Philippians. Be like-minded, having the same love. Colossians 2.2, uh, 2, being knit together in love. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, abounding in love one toward another. 1 Peter 1.22, see that you love one another. 1 John 1.4, beloved, let us love one another. I get the message, don't you? And that's just a sampling of the many, many passages 
of Scripture where God tells us that we're to love the unlovely. That includes my fellow Christian, but it also includes unregenerated people so that they may see Christ in me. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 13 now, please. Romans chapter 13 again. I am to love you with a pure heart fervently, and I'm also to love those people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that, it's, it's, a, it's, it's the same, only different, isn't it? I know that they're without Christ, they're without hope, and my love is to, to show them the love of Christ. My love for you is a communion and union in Christ. Once they come to Christ, I'll have that same union with them. But until then, I'm to show them the love of Christ that, that flows from within me so they may see that love of our Lord Jesus come out of me. We're back in Romans chapter 13 once again. Again, the context is always, always my life before the Lord and that I'm doing what's proper and fitting in his sight. Pick it up in verse 11. And that, no, knowing that the time, that it is now high, high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. See, recognize that the time is short. Say, well, I, listen, I was saved 35 plus years ago. And, uh, and back when I first became a Christian, people were telling me Jesus could come anytime. I thought, well, what's he waiting for? I've been saved a whole week and he hasn't come yet, you know. What's going on? Uh, listen, it's not necessarily talking about his coming back anytime, the context here. The context is it, there's a time when it's too late. I want to be a good witness to that guy at work. I, I want to be a good, because he has all kinds of problems. He's not a nice guy. And I want him to come to Christ. You get to work on Monday morning, you find out the guy's dead. It's over. It's over. I've had this happen to me. You have too. People say, can you pray for so-and-so? He died. No. It's too late. It's too late. I'll pray that the people around him will somehow get a gospel message, but... When, when someone is dead, when they're absent from the body, they either go on to eternal damnation or they go on to glory, depending upon their relationship with Christ. Listen, the night is far spent. The, the, the day is at hand. Our salvation, Christ could come at any moment, but also they could leave at any moment. So God wants us to make sure that we are not in the dark asleep, if you would. He uses these metaphors about sleeping and nighttime. God's word often talks about these uh, human parallels, but he wants us to look at them in a spiritual manner. Look, verse uh, 11, and that knowing the time is now at hand. It's high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believed. You could die tomorrow. Or the person you want to witness to could die tomorrow, or the Lord could come tomorrow. Either way, there's a finality to the whole business. Verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. You know, I, I looked up a few passages. I'll just read these to you. You've, you've, you've heard them, I'm sure, at least you know about them. 
about the darkness. Sinners, sinners, and people who do not want to uh, be exposed hide in darkness. Do you ever notice that? Very, very few, few midday break-ins. Usually it's at night. Uh, before I became a Christian, uh, I used to go to nightclubs and things like that. Always dark. Very dim lighting. Uh, the darkness is referred to as people hiding in sinfulness. Let me read a passage to you from the book of Job. In the dark they dig through houses, which they had marked out for themselves in the daytime. They know not the light. Isn't that beautiful? In the dark they dig through houses, which they had marked out for themselves in the daytime. They know not the light. See, thieves, they look for a place during the day and they hit it at night. They hit it at night. And churches, I'm, when I was at the uh, Church of the Open Bible in Burlington, I, I locked the door that night. I went home to my, um, to my home with my wife. I came back the next morning. The windows were smashed, and someone had broken in in the nighttime. Broken a church and stole uh, some money from the church, smashed a few things and did some damage. But they... They don't know any boundaries. Why? Because they are of the night, of the darkness. Proverbs 28 says, He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. If you try to hide your sin, cover it. Even in darkness, God knows. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. And they say, Who sees us? And who knows us, Isaiah said, trying to hide sin in the dark. Woe unto the rebellious, rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. They try to hide their sin, and all they're doing is multiplying their sin. The last one is found in the book of Ezekiel. Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou not seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, The Lord sees us not. The Lord has forsaken the earth. See, men think they're hidden from God because they've done something in secret or in the dark. And God says, No, it's not hidden from my eyes at all. You know the passage I won't have you a turn there, but in the Psalms, where shall I go from the presence of the Lord? Where can I hide? And then the psalmist goes on to say, that surely I, I, I'll say, the darkness shall cover me. And then God says, no, the night and the day, they are alike unto me. I know everything all the time and see everything all the time. So we read back in Romans chapter 13 uh, and in verse uh, 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness or sinfulness and rather let us put on the armor of light. God wants to make sure that we are, in verse 13, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in immorality or wantonness, not in strife and envy. We need to make sure that we are walking honestly according to the word of God. Now, what does it mean to walk honestly? 
Well, we'll just have a chance to look at a couple of passages and then we'll end. What does it mean to walk with the Lord? Well, the term to walk with the Lord is not essentially what we read in the book of Genesis where, uh, where Adam walked with God in the, in, the, uh, in the garden. However, there's a very close proximity of that picture. I can picture, can't you? Adam walking in the garden and an image of our Lord Jesus walking along with him. I, I, can, I can imagine that in my mind, but uh, we don't know what that was like. But we know this, when we're talking about walking with the Lord, it means to abide. It means to remain. It means to stand fixed in him. It's not I'm walking with him down a road or he's sitting in the seat next to me. That's not the reference, but rather he's in me. He's in me, and I am to abide in him. And I want us to look at a couple of passages quickly. Now, what does all this have to do with the government? Well, unless I'm walking in him, they're only going to see my flesh. They're only going to see my flesh. I had an occasion back many years ago to go to City Hall and, uh, and apply for a, we had a swimming pool. I lived in this house next door, and the yard was much, much bigger. And we had a, I wanted to get a swimming pool, and I went to apply for this permit to get a swimming pool anyway. So I went down to City Hall, and I asked the lady for a uh, you know, permit to put in the swimming pool. And I think she said some figure, and I, I don't remember it all. All I remember is I was horrified. She said, well, that'll be $150. What? Uh, the guy just before me got a permit for $150 to put an addition on his house. I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm putting a pool in. We, we can only swim in it about two weeks a year, you know, it's so cold. And, uh, and I said to him, but, Miss, I, I, I guess I don't understand. Um, how come his was $150 for that and mine's $150 to put a fence around? I said, that seems like an awful lot of money. And she knew that I was in the ministry. She said, well, just take up another collection. I was on fire. I was on fire. I could have spontaneously combusted right there. Because now she took it from, from me to the Lord. See, thank the Lord I didn't react. Thank the Lord. But... If I had not been walking with the Lord, what do you think that lady would have saw? <laughs> not Christ and me, the hope of glory, but this filthy garment that I walk around in. That's what she would have saw. She would have saw my flesh. It didn't get straightened out, by the way, in case you're wondering. But recognize this, that when God says to walk, he calls me he calls me to a responsibility that I cannot shirk. He gives me the power to do it. He gives me the strength to do it. He gives me the direction to do it. But he says, you have to do it. Turn with me, if you would, please, to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll close with this, Ephesians chapter 4. Lord willing, if you come out tonight, we want to look at this walking in the power of the Spirit of God. So what does my spiritual life have to do with unsaved people? We want them to see Christ in us. We want to show them his love for me, his working through me, so they'll desire what I have.
They'll want that. Peter says that. When you live Christ-like, people will ask a reason for the hope that's within you. Don't You recognize, I recognize, the world does not have hope. Their best hope is two candidates coming up. That's the best hope they have. Two candidates. Probably the pick of the draw. What, who's going to be up for election next year? What will our country be like no matter who gets in? That's all they have, you see. Will their money stay the same? Will, will Social Security be taken away? Will taxes be enforced? Will there be tolls? Will there be? That's all they have, and there's no hope there. But we want them to see the hope that's within us, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Look at verse 1. I, therefore, Paul, can, I, can, can you note this, please? The prisoner of the Lord. Paul was incarcerated at Caesarea Maritima. Those involved in my class on Monday night. On the coast, he was, in, he was under house arrest in that town. And God, God used that. A troublous time for the Apostle Paul. A death-threatening time for the Apostle Paul. He used that for Paul to pen this. And what did Paul say? I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, literally beg you, that you walk worthy of the vocation, literally, or the calling with which you were called. How do I do that? Screaming out at business meetings in the town council calling up and calling people names that are in the government. How, how do I do that? Verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We need to recognize that if we show our flesh in public, we shouldn't be telling them we go to the Cornerstone Church. We shouldn't be telling them we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ because that doesn't represent him. Owing the debt of love does. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your revealed truth, for the word of God. Father, we live on uncertain times and our government, Lord, is not fulfilling, certainly not your word, neither do they fulfill the constitution that governs us. And yet, Lord, we fully recognize that our citizenship is in heaven. So, Father, help us to live as your representatives here on earth, that we might uh, live for the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might show forth his name and his praise, that we would act accordingly, that we would walk according to the vocation in which we were called. Thank you for this time together. I thank you for this uh, place where we can meet together, where we can be exposed to your word Help us to leave here being doers of the word and not hearers only. We pray in Jesus' precious name, amen.